Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show. Let's get straight to business this afternoon. There was uh, much sadness right across the world uh, when news broke last week of Cristiano Ronaldo and Georgina Rodriguez lost. They were expecting twins uh, and they lost their daughter's twin brother. And it brought back into focus this whole issue of a surviving twin for many, many parents across the world and in this country. June the 8th, 2010, an emergency section at 29 weeks. I'm sure it all came flooding back to my first guest today. She's chairperson and co-founder of the Irish Neonatal Health Alliance and founder of Mono Amniotic Twins Ireland. Sharon Kyo, welcome to uh, Late Lunch this afternoon. Thanks very much, Jerry. You live with this, I know, every day. I'm familiar with your story, but uh, this has really brought it back into focus, as I said, for many people, and many people you've encountered since that uh, fateful day in June 2010. Did it well up with you again, despite all your involvement and all you've been through in the subsequent years? Absolutely. I suppose, like, knowing, having been through it myself, I totally can relate to what they're going through. And even though 12 years have gone by, it's still very much, at the forefront of my mind every time my daughter who's now 12 she's 12 in June but every little thing or sort of first occasions or things where she's sort of doing really well in school or if she's got her confirmation it always sort of resonates with us and makes us think about you know if both of the girls are here if Emily was here as well what would she pick to wear how would she feel about this situation so anything like that or when we see stories online it it brings it all floating back every single time and like time does heal and wounds do heal, but it's still always there. And there's always the what ifs and, you know, you, you wonder what things would be like if they were different, obviously. Mm, you never expect to lose a child. Nobody does at birth. And, and, and twins, you know, 29 weeks, they were a little early. And of course, mm. uh, subsequently, uh, uh, Heidi had to fight for her life. And at the same time, you had to arrange a funeral. Yeah, I know. And... Looking back, and I don't know how I did it. I genuinely, and in subsequent years where I've been sort of chatting to other families who are in similar situations and just kind of talking to them as a mum, I'm by no means an expert except the fact that I've lived it myself. Um, I really don't know how I did it. And I still kind of think about it. Some of it's a blur, some of it is so vivid, but um, it's a horrible situation. And I used to leave the hospital every day after being, so I'd spend the whole day beside Heidi's incubator just sort of watching her grow and, wishing her to get better so I could take her home and having to leave the hospital and see sort of other mams with their car seats full of bundles of joy and it was really, really tough and like you think you had a really good day in the hospital and you'd be so proud of your little tiny baby in the incubator and then you just get 
this just pang of, it was just so emotional then, walking out the front door with your arms empty, essentially, and having to go back in the next day and do it all over again. Mm. Um, it was really tough. It was really tough. It is hard to go home without a baby, but knowing that you should be going home eventually with two of them and you arrive yeah. home with one, how do you, uh, what do you recall of, you know, of course people knew you were expecting twins and, and then you have to face that whole situation of saying, well, I lost one of them at birth. How, what do you recall of that and dealing with that and people coming to you? What actually killed me was, or really upset me was, people sort of didn't speak to me or, or they didn't know what to say to me. And, and I just wanted to, like, talk to people. I wanted to be able to kind of, she existed, she was real. I wanted to kind of, people to say, well, obviously that everything would be okay. But that pain that I was feeling, I was like, I felt her inside me she lived she was a person and it was like she was just it was so tough to have a conversation with anybody nobody knew what to say to me nobody knew how to speak to me and I was like I'm still me I need that support I need those people I need my family around me that the, the, obviously we were going in to see Heidi every day in the hospital and I was like we're still trying to soldier on and it was really tough to obviously strike up any conversation with anyone and then people not knowing what to do but equally I, I, they felt so helpless and it's it, just was so hard to process and still exist and be strong and not give up and constantly like looking after Heidi and and actually that was really hard because I couldn't actually touch her because she was in an incubator and I always remember Emily I had to sort of organise her funeral and then going into the hospital and all I wanted to do was give Heidi a squeeze and tell her like everything's going to be okay and you're going to be fine and I wasn't able to touch her because she was so small and She's so sick and she had so much that she needed to do by way of growing and just getting better. And I just, as a mom and your natural instincts of wanting to be able to feed your baby and hold your baby, I couldn't do any of that. Mm. And it was just, it was horrific. It was a really, really tough experience. And every day, every day getting closer to bring her home was such, it was such, like it was a hard slog. But my goodness me, when we got to bring her home, the celebrations, it was unbelievable. But it was still after that, it was I never properly dealt with um, my grief, I was so focused on her. It was years later, it was a couple of years later before I actually started to process. I had lost Emily and I had to kind of look after myself and my own mental health. So it's a journey that kind of went on for a very, very long time after Heidi came home. Mm. Come back to the point you make there about people not talking to you, you know what I mean? Or perhaps mm. avoiding it. What do you say to listeners today who... Uh, will experience a, a situation like this within their own families and you know somebody has lost what do you so- say to them what 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 should they do it's a lonely time as a, like it's very lonely you've, you've obviously you're in this emotional state and I found I, I wanted my family to talk to me I wanted them to sort of be there support me listen to me whinge and listen to me crying out but just, they didn't have to do anything. I just needed them to be there. Mm. Um, and it's like, it's so important as a mom for people to remember, like, the child may have not spent much time on this earth, but they, she most certainly existed. And it's good to talk about that. And it's good to remember them and always have them in conversation. Let mom, let that person sort of drive that and make sure that you're there for them. Whether it's bringing over a pot of stew or a cup of tea or just sitting with them and letting them talk and let them even perhaps just be there in silence, but at least you're there. Like a presence is so important because it can be such a lonely time 
and you're left with your own thoughts and you're left with like the what ifs and could I have done something different or like why me? And it's really important to just be a good support network for them, whatever they want, be it just a face or a hug or a cup of tea. It's really important just to make sure that you check in and make sure that they're okay. What about Heidi as she grows now? And you mentioned those milestones, first day at school, communions, Christmases, occasions. Of course, everybody thinks, what if Emily were here? What about her? What about Heidi and her sister? She carries her with her, doesn't she, always? Oh, she does, very much so. Like, she has a chain with Emily's name on it. She has bracelets, she has little trinkets in her bedroom. We very much, we have pictures of like for, I love photographs and I have photographs all over my house of everything, special occasions and events and weddings and all that kind of thing. But we've also got pictures of Emily and she's very much a part of our family. And we would talk about her all the time. Heidi now is 12. She just made her confirmation recently um, because obviously with COVID there was a delay and stuff like that. But she's very much, um, I wonder what she would have picked her. I wonder like, and she'd openly chat about her. Um, she also feels that when she's doing stuff, she's really into GAA and things like that. She always feels like when she does wins a good match or has a good tackle. She's like, oh, that was Emily that helped me be strong there. And she loves to reference her and she loves to talk about her. And she'd be very proud if somebody sort of asked. Now, she's got another older sister too. Actually, a younger sister, an older sister and a brother as well. So she'll, but she'll talk about Emily equally as much as she would the others, as if she was there, as if she existed. And she firmly believes in the strength that she gets for certain things. And she's very determined sort of a child and she's very there's things she do now I'd be cringing oh my god but like that's I know that that's her sister kind of pushing her on to Mm. do it and she's very she loves being able to talk about that You're quoted as saying that infant loss is a never ending journey but as you move away year on year from this does time heal? Oh absolutely it does heal but you'll never forget like there's always the pain and as I said to you there'll always be those memories of what if she was here now? What would she be doing? And especially because obviously I have her surviving twin and I'm watching her grow in front of me. That's, it's just so tough. But you just as a person, as a human, you have to learn to sort of live with it and get on with it. But you'll always have that little sort of piece of your heart that's missing. And that sort of, I, I, just, I can't describe it, but like I really, it, 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 you keep going because you have your other children, obviously, and mm. you can see them growing. But you do always think, um, what if? And uh, like, I'd love, you know, there's just always the the pain is always there. You just think as you grow older, you learn to deal with it and manage it better. Like it's nothing that two paracetamol can get rid of, but you certainly as a human, you kind of just get on with it. But you'll always, you'll always have that feeling, you know. You, you've come across subsequently and you've been a tremendous help, I know, through founding, uh, co-founding and being founder of uh, the organisations I mentioned when I introduced mm-hmm. you there. And this is uh, a fact of life. This happens all of the mm-hmm. time. There will be people this will happen to in the future and there are others this is very fresh and raw with at the moment. When you talk as you speak to me today and you write about this and you meet these people, do you see, you know, your experience as, you know, easing uh, the pain and, you know, explaining what you went through, helping them? Well, I do think, like, I'm by no means a professional. I'm I'm Mm. a mom and I certainly think that it does help because they can, I can relate, um, I can be honest, I can say what they're feeling is perfectly normal. I, you know, the journey that they're going through is uh, like I can completely relate to it and I can be brutally honest and so open. And I think that's so important because in situations like that, uh, I, 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 at my time, I found it very hard to find somebody that I could talk to that wasn't sort of, you know, that head tilt. Oh, you're okay. I was like, oh, there's just no sincerity in it. 
I want I want that feeling of you know what I'm going through here. I needed somebody to be able to talk to me and say, yeah, it is crap. It's really crap. But, you know, time, it'll, you'll get through it. Take one day at a time. Just I needed to relate to somebody. And I find now when I get to chat with, with mams or, or families or whatever, just to be able to have that conversation as a mum who has experienced it, it does help. It does help in a small way. By no means, like, do I fix everything? But I certainly know it's appreciated to have somebody who can actually relate because they've been there. And they've been in that situation. Yeah, you're tremendous, honestly, in in in, in what you do and and the way you uh, speak about your own experiences. There's a message come to me. Uh, there's more here, but just one I pick out there. Jerry, my mum lost a twin boy, and she always finds comfort years later uh, talking mm-hmm. about him. But it's hard imagining what he would be like and the life he could have had. You know what that yeah. sentiment there. You you echoed it I, I, there a few moments Absolute. ago with myself. But yeah. uh, look, you, you are are great to come forward and what you've done and what and what you founded and uh, speaking about it and talking to us today is uh, so great and it really is a testament uh, to the memory uh, of your daughter Emily. And uh, well done to you and thank you for joining me on the show today. Not at all. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. Take care now. That's Sharon Kill, there, wonderful lady, uh, chairperson and co-founder of the Irish Neonatal Health Alliance and founder of Monoamniotic Twins Ireland. We're heading to Dunboyne next on late lunch where there was real drama in the early hours of this morning. To tell me more, Jason Ruan is on the line. Hello, Jason. Hello, how are you? I'm good. A car horn uh, disturbed you. What time this morning, roughly? Around uh, half three, Mac. Take it half up three from... twenty-five to four. Okay, early hours. Take it up from there. What happened? Um, well, I was asleep. I was kind of quite, quite uh, a night sleeper. Um, I heard the car, a car horn going off, um, which I found was quite strange. So uh, I jumped up, opened the blinds onto the balcony. Um... And then my back in his face now towards the car park, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was standing there for a minute and I couldn't see anyone like going into their house or anything like that. So um, I, I was still kind of standing there for another minute and then I would see a, a, a fellow walking up towards the end of the estate. And um, I knew he was up to no good, so I shouted at him. And uh, he kind of just ignored me at the start. And then I started getting a little bit louder. And then he he stopped in motion. And then he took off. So I uh, came off the balcony, ran down the stairs. Uh, it was in my boxers. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, no trousers, uh, boxers only. Okay, go on, I can picture only, it. only, yeah. So I was down two flights of stairs, um, out onto the main road. And I was standing there uh, for a couple of minutes. I was watching watching him as he was kind of, you know, he was good, good bit away in the distance. And then he kind of crossed over the road into one of the estates uh, close by. Mm. So I ran back in, up the stairs, threw on the clothes as quick as I could. Uh, having an electric scooter there, so um, I brought that down with me, jumped on that, and I flew down towards where I, where I seen him going. And uh, I could see someone standing as I was approaching, you know, the, the estate where I seen And um, I flew up right beside him. And, uh, he didn't even notice me for a minute. Mm. When he did, he, he I swear his soul must have left his body. He jumped about four feet backwards. Mm. Um, and he had a handbag in his hand, which I snatched off him. And uh, 
that was that was it. Off you went. He ran then. He just he didn't put up a resistance. He didn't put up a resistance or anything. You grabbed the bag. He let go and scarpered. Absolutely, yeah. That was that was that was it. Over as quick before it even started. Jason, you're a brave man. Did you not? You know this fellow was on up to something uh, really nasty. Were you not worried he might have something and uh, a knife or something like that? Uh, possibly, yeah. And there could have been more than one. But from the distance, what I seen, there was just a one. So. Mm. One on one is better than what happened the previous time when there was two two of them when I um uh, stopped two robbers uh breaking into um, a neighbour's house as well. That was last September. We'll come to that in a moment. Just come back to today. So he went off, you had the bag and you head back you head back for home. Yeah, yeah go um on. and I put a post up then on the Facebook page just to stir up the mail, um, breaking into cars in my estate, um, chased them in the boxes, went back, got the scooter, flew down caught him, got the handbag off him, um, went home, and then I was going to, you know, I, I put the, the picture of the handbag up, I didn't want to go rooting through it myself, but then the partner said, you're better off just to check and see if there's any ID. Yeah. Um, I, I obviously checked for the ID, and lucky enough, it was uh, a house close by to us, so I uh, messaged her on Facebook at uh, four o'clock in the morning, obviously she was asleep, she didn't know anything about it, so uh, she got back to me this morning, then when she woke up, Thanks very much, and, and stuff like that. So, collected her bag. So, there was a break in at a house beside you. The lady knew nothing about it. She was sleeping when this happened. The bag was taken, and you retrieved it. You are a hero. <laughs> you are. You're a hero. Okay, and you're... It, as I said to uh, one of the girls I was talking this morning, you know, it's, it's nice to finally get some of the back off, you know, someone yeah. that's going around robbing people's hard in belongings and stuff like that, you know. Mm. So, I've had a few things nicked off me in the past, and it's really not a nice feeling. Well, fair juice to you. And that other uh, incident you mentioned was last September. Uh, your children, I know you have four children, they must be so proud of you. Uh, they were playing football and you saw something suspicious around the back of one of the houses and you came across, what, two lads trying to break in? Yeah, yeah, an older gentleman uh, close to the 50 mark. And I can't say his son because I don't know, but a younger lad. Mm. You know, told him, you know, I was playing football with the kids in this day and... We used to always keep the football over the wall, so we kind of, you know, you'd be, you'd know, you'd know what they have, and they have a fence at the side, which is like, it was like made of pallets. And I could have sworn I heard it like a pallet cracking, and I was like, did you hear that? And no, they all, you know, didn't take any notice to it. But then I heard another bang, and I stood up on top of the slide, and the slide, you can look in the back garden, and uh, it was pitch black, and no lights on. I said, geez, that's very strange, you know? So like that again, I stayed uh, looking for a minute, and then I seen two shadows. Two, two men in black, um, you know, uh, creeping up behind back window. Now, uh, I let rip at them, and uh, they obviously scuppered. So I sprinted down to the end of my estate. I jumped off the slide, sprinted down to the end of my estate. It's kind of gated, and a wall, and then it's their house. So I uh, got kind of up on top of the gate and the wall, and they kind of had to come out past me through the driveway. Mm. And I was letting rip at them as a cot, and what he is doing, and stuff like that, you know? Mm. And... Uh, then your man was going to hit him and stuff like that, and with with a bit of bad language involved, of course. And uh, the one of them, the young fella had the pole, and then the older man had the knife, and he was sort of sticking it through the fence at me. So I jumped off the fence, and uh, they were running across the road, uh, shouting. I was going to right in front of the cars, like they know. Yeah. All they wanted to do was get away. You know, that's all. All they wanted to do was get away, so they didn't do anything. So they drew a knife on you. Were in a dangerous situation. Then were they ever caught? No, never caught. Okay. No, uh, the helicopter, the guy, the helicopter was out that evening. Yes. 
uh, maybe 20, 30 minutes after, but mm. they could have been gone anywhere. Probably know? gone to ground at that stage. My God, Absolutely. there you are. So uh, yeah. they say things come in trees in, in, in life, the, Jason. Yeah. Mind yourself. Yeah. All I say is Absolutely. mind yourself. You're a brave, brave man. But well done yeah. to you today to recover yeah. uh, the handbag and, and all those uh, important things that that lady had in it. And I yeah. take it the guards will be involved in this now from here on. I yes. imagine so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibly, yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Well done to you, Kelly's Court in Dunboyne, Jason Ruan, people like you, you know, and uh, of course I do know you're playing goals for Dunboyne, don't you? You're a goalkeeper. That's correct, yeah. Nothing gets by Jason. Nothing gets by Jason. <laughs> I know, I know the story. Anyway, well yeah. done to you. Delighted to acknowledge what you did and uh, uh, more like you we need. Thanks, Jason. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Jason Ruan there speaking to me from Dunboyne. What a man. There you go in his boxers first and chase the lad and retrieve the handbag. Well done to him. Late March to September, a nightmare for many, but it doesn't need to be so. What am I talking about? Yes, hay fever season. And to uh, sort you all out this afternoon, I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch, pharmacist Cathy Marr. Hello again, Cathy. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much for joining me. First up, I want to ask you this. Um, hay fever, is it hereditary and can it come upon you from any age or does it start at an early age? Do you know what the answer is yes to all of those questions? There is a hereditary link to it. Um, it's what is known as an atopic or an allergic condition. So if someone has experience or if they suffer from hay fever, they have a higher chance of also suffering from asthma and eczema. But also, if a parent or first-degree relative of that person suffers from either eczema, asthma or a hay fever, any children are higher, are, are more inclined to suffer from one of the three as well. So we often see maybe a parent might have asthma, the child might have eczema, another child might have hay fever, a third child might have all three. So there is a hereditary link to it, for sure. But also, by the same token... Many people have never suffered from hay fever before and suddenly we might have a high pollen season and suddenly they become hay feverish and that's what we often see and people might identify, some of your listeners might identify, when you move from one area to another, mm. you may become, you may develop hay fever. Um, you know, if we have, you know, if people move from the, the town out, out to the country, they're in contact with an awful lot of different pollens yes. so they may be more hay feverish at that stage. So yeah, it can come on at any stage but there is a strong genetic link as well. Symptom-wise, people would say it can be similar to a common cold, but what distinguishes hay fever? It can be. And, you know, the commonality of it, it, I don't like that to take away from the debilitating nature that it can. It can be really severe for some people. I'm delighted to see the weather out there today, as are many of your listeners. But some people dread this time of year because they really, really suffer. So the symptoms can be such as sneezing, runny, blocked nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy itchy ears, even itchy palate of the mouth, itchy nose. They can have a dry cough. They can have a, a, a sense of, look at the, the nose, the smell can be lost sometimes. So it could be a headache um, and uh, a shortness of breath. And those symptoms can worsen if there are any of the other atopic conditions, like I mentioned, particularly if a patient has asthma as well as their hay fever. So when you talk about those symptoms... What are the main causes? Is it pollen? Is it, as I said, late March to September, when the pollen is in abundance, that's what causes it? That's it. And, it, you know, when the temperature rises, so when it gets a little bit warmer, it gets a little bit more humid. And also if it's a little bit more breezy or windy, as it has been over the past few days. So the pollen that is in the air when there's a breeze, it's 
the pollen is blown about and it lands on all of us and on our clothes and on our windows. So what we can be allergic to during hay fever, it's tree pollens, grass pollens and weed pollens. And they all pollinate at various times. So people sometimes need to decide or discover what pollen that they may be allergic to. Now, the vast majority of hay fever sufferers are allergic to grass pollens, in around 90 to 95%. But another 10 to 15% of those are also allergic to tree pollens. And the tree pollens are beginning to start right now. So kind of late March into April, we have willows, oaks, birch, ash trees, they're all pollinating now. So that's, while there might be huge growth in the grass, that's what's causing the difficulty for some people early on. The grasses tend to kick in um, middle of May into June, July, and that's when they become a problem. It can leave people really, really miserable. And, but it's not, it can be effectively managed, as you mm. say, with medicines. So the range of treatment options, oral antihistamines, so oral mean that we swallow antihistamines, so oral antihistamines, and decongestants, so that can help unblock. We've got steroid nasal sprays, steroid eye drops, and also some anti-allergy eye drops. And what I'd always say to people is there are a number of key points. So the key is to find the treatment that works best for you. So if you're someone whose eyes, the streaming, watery, itchy eyes are the biggest problem, we can treat that with anti-allergy drops and perhaps an oral antihistamine. But if you're someone who's sneezing, the shortness of breath, the headache, the real nasally problems, we can treat that perhaps with a steroid nasal spray. All of the treatments can be taken together very, very safely and very effectively. So the key is trying to identify what works best for you and, and use it in conjunction with whatever else you need. Also starting early. So some of the treatments work really effective when we take them when hay fever symptoms are expected. So we normally have this call out early April, mid-April, end of April to say, now's the time to start thinking. If I haven't started my hay fever treatment, I need to start now before it does become a real problem rather than waiting until the symptoms have actually started. Because... We can't always reverse the effects of histamine when it's bind to some of the receptors that causes this allergic reaction. We can try and prevent the release of histamine happening in the first place. So there are a range of treatments. Pop into Haven Pharmacy in Dalek or your local pharmacy and there's lots of help there and you don't have to live with this. They can be treated. Now on the other hand, uh, you know, mitigating against the factors you mentioned, you know, high pollen, things like that. There are other things we can do, you know, in our lives to help Cathy as well. That's exactly it. So identifying the right treatments, getting the right advice, see what interacts with your own medicines, what can be taken, what can't be taken, and then the practical elements. And they have a huge role to play. I wouldn't dismiss any of the practical elements that we do to reduce the hay fever symptoms. So we try to take a handle on it medically and then looking at simple things like keeping doors and windows closed at home and when driving um, to try a little bit of Vaseline inside the nostrils, on the eyelashes. That acts as a little filter to try and prevent the pollen from entering the body in the first place. Wearing sunglasses, particularly wraparound ones around the eyes, if, um, if you're out in the garden. Try not to mow the grass. If you're a very severe hay fever sufferer, try not to mow the grass or be around when the grass is being mowed because if that grass is being mulched up or cut up, you can imagine then all of the release of the pollen, add in a breeze, a bit of heat, and that pollen is, is just right there to, to land. Um, drying clothes outside as well. You know those beautiful sunny days? Mm. Great, great clothes drying over the weekend. Like lots of bed linen out. But on days like that, pollen can land on our clothes. Bring that back in. Put those back onto bedding. And suddenly you have hay fever, perhaps symptoms more pronounced during the evening time. 
If you think of the temperature rising in the morning when we get up in the mornings, you know, we're kind of around 6, 7 in the morning, the temperature begins to rise as we enter the day. Pollen tends to rise from the grasses, from trees, and up into the atmosphere. That's when it begins to land on the skin, on the eyes, on the nostrils, on the scalp. And hay fever symptoms can be worse in the morning. They also tend to worsen in the evening times. So if you think of a warm, balmy summer's day and the temperature begins to cool towards late afternoon and evening, the pollen is beginning to reduce back down, fall back down through the atmosphere and it lands on us again. So for people to take maybe twice daily medicines or I would suggest taking them early in the morning and then mid to late afternoon, three or four o'clock. We would often get that question from lots of parents when would I give the dose? And I would usually say before school and when the child comes in from school afterwards. It's also really useful to do the practical thing of washing, giving the, the hair a quick rinse underwater, wash the face when you come in from outside, wash the hands. Just what you're doing is just simply washing pollen off the skin, off surfaces, to try and reduce that reaction happening in the first place. Is it a significant factor in the population? And uh, with your experience, has it uh, risen? You know, are there more people living with this today? I think it might be more recognised. People okay. are seeking more help. Yeah. Um, whether we, we get into the debate around global warming and whether the temperature rises, we're seeing more extremes of weather. Um, and we're having much more milder winters. So our plants, we all talk about it anecdotally, I think they're blossoming earlier than sometimes they often do. Or perhaps that's, that's a sign of my age, Terry, either, that I'm noticing that. Um, <laughs> but definitely it seems that more people are seeking help. The treatments are also more available. Mm. You know, maybe a decade ago, many of these treatments were available on prescription only. These are now available without the need for a prescription. So people can self-medicate much more readily and much more effectively, which makes it really, really useful just last year, we had another antihistamine that was prescription only up until last year, a stronger one. A second generation antihistamine was made available without prescription. And that was really, really useful at helping people manage their symptoms effectively. So I think a mix of all of that is, is, is in there. Is it becoming more prominent or more prevalent? I'm not so sure. It could be because of temperatures and our very mild seasons that we're having. But it could also be that the effective treatments are there. And we're talking about health generally more so anyway and the self-help that we can do. And in terms of having it in your lifetime, have you seen instances where people have it for a time and then uh, it leaves them? Not necessarily. Sometimes allergies, allergies are unpredictable. Um, But I have seen instances where people have moved house or they have replanted or cut down particular shrubs Mm. or just managed it. And I have seen situations, we often see even perhaps people that have moved away for college and come back home for the summer and suddenly, you know, to leaks in a rural area, a beautiful area, and suddenly hay fever is, is, is spiked up again. Okay. Um, so no, I don't see it ever, yes. ever going away. No. If, if it's there and if you have it, yeah. you'll be dealing with it, with it long term. And, and I suppose if you're going on holidays as well, it's another thing to take into consideration the real hot times of the year. You, you're going to have it. If you have it here, you'll have it there. Absolutely, yeah. and then pollen in different areas, you know, you know, certainly trees pollinate in different areas given their climate at different times, so it's just be wary. Going away, I would also, you know, always ensure that people have the correct medicines. But in terms of your managing your hay fever, try and start on the, the, the management, the treatment now. Don't wait until kind of mid-May, early June when it's really debilitating, it looks miserable, and very often, like at least once a week now, you know, we'll get people saying, I've got this cold, it's going on three or four weeks. And I'll say, perhaps it's hay fever, 
no, 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 I've never had hay fever. We treat it as hay fever, and suddenly now they, they do have hay fever. So, but if you are a regular sufferer of hay fever, try and ha- tackle it from now. Look at your corticosteroid nasal spray. Start using that. Concerns would be, is it safe to use every day? It's a steroid. Maybe I'm not allowed to use it every day. It's absolutely safe. Not going to have any long-term side effects. And actually what it's going to do is make things more manageable. You might still need oral antihistamines on particularly high pollen days. And that's where we do. We kind of layer up as we need to and reduce back down when we don't. But I would say to people as well, Medair and produce a really good pollen forecast. And to kind of be be on top of that yes. and know how the pollen levels are looking. And for the next week or two, you might think, I can get away with just using my ne- my steroid spray. Oh, it looks like it's going to be high towards the end of the week. I'll need to stock up on my antihistamines and maybe I'll need eye drops by the look of the weather that's coming. Great advice. Fantastic advice as usual. Thank you so much, Cathy. Lovely to talk to you again. Talk to you soon. Take care. That's Cathy Marr there. Our fabulous pharmacist from Haven Pharmacy in Dulik. Time for your two on Tuesday. Yes, each uh, Tuesday at this time we play a song that made it to number two in the charts but just couldn't make it to number one in the UK. And I'm going back today to 1998 and the month of May when Madonna released the title track from her revered album called Ray of Light. It came straight in in the UK charts at number two. But to make it to number one... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, it would never be with this one for our Madge. Let's have a listen. Yes, our two on Tuesday, Madge, Madonna herself, 1998, a ray of light. It never made number one, Louise. What do you make of it? Um, 
I didn't like it until I heard it. It's been so long, but yeah. it kind of grew on me. Yeah, me didn't too. It? Me too. I thought, no, then. You then. thought you heard Peppa Pig there in the background, I did just you? just thought the song was based around roadworks. <laughs> There's all sorts of sirens and hydraulics and diggers going on in the background. You're definitely hallucinating today. You're definitely hallucinating today. There's no doubt about that. Anyway. Do, do, <laughs> <laughs> do, do we want to hear what was number? What kept it off the top spot? Of course we do. Give it a spin there, Louise, because uh, great and all as Madonna's was, Ray of Light, uh, it couldn't make the summit because of a cover version of a 1992 Red Hot Chili Pepper song taken from their album Blood, Sugar, Sex and Magic, performed this time round by All Saints. Let's have a listen. The number one that kept Madonna at bay. Well, what do you think? Who should have made the number one? Well, we have no say at this stage. What do you do? You like that one better than Madonna? No, oh. I've never heard that one. I there think I'm go. glad. Like the chili version, you yeah, can't like beat the chilies. The chilies. Yeah. But you know, it did nothing for the chilies, really. Honestly, Louise, when they covered it, it two weeks at number one in the UK. That one made for All Saints, isn't it funny? I can't believe that, yeah. Yes, and it kept Madonna off the top spot there. Yes, there were sirens and funny things was, happening yeah. in the background. <laughs> I think Peppa Pig was more on that one than the other one, to be honest with you. I'm just going to have to listen back We're and figure that based. out. all traffic based, There you go, that's your two on Tuesday. And the one that kept it off, number one, and we'll have another one for you this day, next week, with the help of God. Anyway, coming up next on Late Lunch this afternoon, Louise, what is coming up next? Where did I put me run out? Fergal Tobin. <laughs> Fergal Tobin is with us and honestly this man is fascinating because he's written a book about what makes us Irish so different from the English, Welsh and Scottish. I have sitting beside me a book called The Irish Difference, a tumultuous history of Ireland's breakup with Britain by Fergal Tobin and I have to say I really enjoyed this book. It's thought provoking, so interesting and you know it takes you from way back up to the present day and I have the man himself on the line, it's author. Fergal Tobin, wel- welcome to the show. Thanks Jerry. glad to be here. I thoroughly enjoy the book and congratulations may I say to you. Thank you very much um, it's always <laughs> nice to hear good opinions Oh yes and you know when I talk about it being thought provoking let me throw something at you because uh, you know you said you've written the book for an English audience number one uh, but you know it's so relevant I think to us Irish as well when I finished it I sat down and jotted down three headlines if I can just put them back to you and maybe yeah. you'll answer this question so why are we different is it because of centuries of subjugation is it to do with religion, in particular the Catholic faith uh, and the Reformation? Is it the plantation of Ulster, uh, the Great Famine or the land, the geography that were a separate island or is it all of them combined? It's some combination of most of them. Let's focus on 
but three things that I think I give most emphasis to in the book. Okay. First of all, religion. The failure of the Reformation in Ireland, uh, it's, the Reformation in some form or other, uh, took root right across the rest because it worked everywhere else. Different versions of it, Anglicanism in England, Calvinism in Scotland, all sorts of dissenting sects in Wales. So it wasn't the same everywhere. But it never took, no version of it took in Ireland. Um, I mean, at no point was the Protestant population of Ireland, and that would include the Presbyterians in the North before partition, it was never more than about 15% max. Mm. Um, so here was a place that was nominally part of the King of England's domain, and he couldn't make his wrist run here on what was not just any old question, it was the supreme question of the time in the 16th and 17th century when all this was forming. It was like communism and capitalism in recent times. You were either on one side or the other. Yes. Uh, we were on the wrong side of the King of England, if you will, and mm. that was a result of pretty well unique in Western Europe because most of the places... They kept the peace by the king imposing the majority religion um, on his subjects, whether they liked it or not. Okay. King couldn't manage that here. Okay, so faith is one. Go on, you have three. Yeah. Give me the second one. second one is distance. Mm. Um, we feel very close to England. You know, just think the premiership. You go into any pub on Monday <laughs> afternoon, the old fellas in there will be talking about Arthur or Manchester United. You go into a pub in central London, they won't be talking about Charlie United or Sam McGrovers. Um, we feel very close to them. We speak the same language, we eat the same food, we have the same kind of urban layouts, we drive on the same side of the road. All that sort of double-decker buses, all that sort of stuff. In fact, we're farther away from the busy England that matters than we suppose. Yes. The bit that matters down about London and the South East, that's where power has always been exercised from. And what they're obsessed with is the Channel, France and the Low Countries, because that's where the trouble has always come from. Right from Julius Caesar up to the Luftwaffe. Um, unfailingly, trouble for England comes across the Channel. It doesn't come from here. Okay. We troubled them seriously only twice when the Spaniards were here in 1600 to, to a fifth O'Neill, and then the French in Bantry Bay in 1796. And apart from that, there's nothing. I always talk about gallant allies in Europe. There's nonsense. It's not so bloody gallant that they can't be, if there was that gallant to be turned up more often than twice in 500 years. Mm. Uh, so we are quite a long way from England, and we're even farther away from continental powers that might have been in the way of giving us aid and assistance. Yes. And even then, there weren't many of those. Yes, they were sporadic, uh, even reading your book. They came from time to time, but it, it was irrelevant. So faith, distance, what's the third blank? The, the loss of our native aristocracy, both the destruction of the Gaelic aristocracy at Kinsale, and then 100 years later at the Boyne, and especially the Battle of Auckland, the destruction of the so-called Old English and Hibernian Normans, that the descendants of the 12th century Normans would stay Catholic. That was the crucial difference, that they didn't uh, go Protestant. Patrick Sarsfield is a very good example of that, uh, uh, that element, or Oliver Plunk is an even better one, I suppose. Mm. Uh, very distinguished old English family. Um, now, 
in an age of hierarchy and deference, you needed some sort of a of an aristocracy to, to, to produce social leadership. And every other country in Europe had some version of it, including even places like Poland that were kicked around by the Russians and everybody else. They retained their native aristocracy. Um to provide social leadership. We had very little of that, not nearly enough of it. Daniel O'Hall, the first who really um, uh, provides some of it. Even then, the, the, the new educators, Catholic middle class, very tiny in the 1820s. And I argue that it's really not until after independence. And when we started to develop a civil service and an administrative elite, uh, that we get a version of it back, and that therefore, in my reading of it, independence was vital for modernization. I don't think we could have modernized in the same way if we'd still been under British rule. Yes. Isn't that interesting that you select those three? And really what you're saying is, you know, when you look at it from a UK perspective, that's why there is such a difference between us, and, and it remains. And yet, the irony of what you mentioned there in the pub, we have a common culture, language, oh, the yeah. sport, yeah, TV, much. I went through it all, you know what I mean? The yeah. institutions, the judiciary. Uh, what have the Romans done for us, may I say to you, Fergal? <laughs> you got to distinguish here, Jerry. <clears throat> Sorry, between um, soft power and hard power. Mm. Hard power is political and military. We got rid of that a hundred years ago, but we love the soft power. I mean, you know, who doesn't like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? Mm. And they're English, um, and so on and so forth. Premiership again, and so forth. Um, we're very happy to be part of their soft power setup, uh, and we borrow from them. Uh, they borrow less from us. They do borrow a fair bit, especially in literature. Mm. Um, but it's that distinction between soft power and hard power that I think is is a help in this regard. Yes, and when you when you look at like and you outlined this brilliantly, like the Welsh were subsumed in 1282. Mm. They really didn't put up much, and uh, they've they've wrote told the line Scotland 1707. Now there's a lot of rumblings, as you know today, that they may go their own way in a while. But in a way, when you mention uh, distance. Is the island thing a factor as well? You know, we're a separate island. You have uh, Scotland, Wales and England sharing a common island. Yes. Um, although distance matters there as well. Yes. One of the, I mean, bear in mind, England never really seriously tried to invade and occupy Scotland. Mm. I mean, they sent raiding parties in there every now and again when the Scots cut up rough. But there was never an invasion plan, ever. Mm. Uh, any more than there was a proper one here. I mean, the, the so-called Norman invasion in the 12th century is a load of nonsense. It was an accident as much as anything else. I mean, uh, but we won't go into that because we don't have time. Um, but the big difference between Ireland and Scotland, Scotland is that when they got um, the Union of Crowns, their Act of Union in 1707, okay, that was the end of the Scottish Parliament and they all went off to Westminster. Yeah. But the Scottish administration, their civil service, remained in Edinburgh mm. with all the patronage networks and the family networks that have built up over centuries. In other words, their native aristocracy yep. provided the social leadership that kept the state running from day to day. And they, they were interested in what was going on at Westminster, but they weren't that fussed about it because basically they ran their own show. Yep. 
We never got a roll show until 1922. Well, that brings me on to a pertinent question because you mentioned Charles Stuart Parnell elected yeah. Meath MP in 1875. He united Irish nationalism. Home rule was almost a reality. Conjecture now. Had we got home rule, would the whole equation be different today? <laughs> I've said before I'm an historian and not a prophet and I don't do <laughs> I don't do this what if game because we don't it's hard enough to establish what actually yes. happened um, without trying to second guess what didn't happen um, all you can say is that Parnell is one of the most astonishing people that this country or any other country ever produced because he took uh, it's interesting if you look at the state of, say, Irish nationalist movement ten years before Parnell. It's all over the place. Mm. Um, it, it's it's no threat to anybody. The, the Israelis Tory government in the mid eighteen seventies didn't give a stuff about Ireland. They could afford not to give a stuff about Ireland. We're no we were no menace to anybody. Ten years later, largely thanks to Parnell, Ireland is the central question at Westminster and remains a ticking bomb there for the next 40 years. Um, what would have happened if we got home rule? Oh, I don't know, because we didn't get it. Yeah. We, got, we thought that was about as good as it was going to get. What the Easter Rising does is it ups the bid, and suddenly Irish nationalists think, oh, hello. We don't have to just put up the home rule. We can get total separation here. We get a republic. Mm. Okay, they didn't quite, but they got damn near. Yes. Um, and I think that's the real significance of, of the Easter Rising. It's the way it accelerates the nationalist offering and the nationalist bid. Mm. Yeah, and you know, it is conjecture, of course, and, and what if. But when you, you think of it, and, and you refer to this, Ireland has always been a burden financially, cost-wise, on uh, England and 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 the UK, and continues yeah. to be twelve billion subvention per annum yeah. uh, for Northern Ireland. Still twelve billion sterling. And when you look at and you bring it up to date, modern uh, times with Brexit, etc. When you do look at the Tories and what's been happening with Brexit, etc., did they give a damn? Did they ever give a damn? Um, not much of a damn anyway. Um, mm. I just think they don't think of us. I mean, any more. What? One of the points I make in the book is you stop an intelligent, educated Irish person in the street, say somebody with a good first class degree in history from a decent university, and ask them to speak for five minutes extempore about Scottish history, let alone Welsh history. I could have a go at Scotland because I know something about it. I'd be, I'd be stumped mm. um, on Wales. Now, we know very little about Scotland and Wales, especially Wales. So where's the harm in England not knowing much about us? It's True. just that every now and again, <laughs> we become material to some British, British debate. Um, Brexit is the great contemporary example they gave us no thought because they never do. But unfortunately for them, we were central. Ireland was always going to be central to any arrangement that withdrew Britain from the European Union. Um, because, of course, the complexities in the north and the fact that we would have a land border 
with the European a big land border and an unpoliceable one of the Brits discovered during the troubles yes Yes, and look what lies ahead with elections imminent in the north. We could have uh, a Sinn Féin first minister and all that goes. That, oh, my God, there's another book, Fergal. I just see it sitting on your desk, ready for publication. I'll tell you what. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, Jerry. Let it happen first, and then I'll tell you <laughs> Okay. Don't ask me. <laughs> I'm with Somebody you. Somebody asked me that the winner was 3.45 time. I don't know that. Uh, listen, no need to know. You've done a fantastic job, I say it again, Thank with this. You. Book. I highly recommend it. I thoroughly oh, enjoyed yeah, it. Good. I really did. The Irish Difference, it's called, by yeah. Fergal Tobin. It's out now. Get it, read it, and enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. That's Fergal Tobin there. The book is The Irish Difference. I'll give it away in a moment. Stay with us. Yes, I do love that song, Louise. I do. I think I'd have it in my top 20 songs of all time. That is a tune. Mr. Rick Astley there. And never going to give you up. Fergal Tobin was with me a few moments ago. I love this book, The Irish Difference. I want to give it away to one of you. I could have covered so much more with him, to be honest with you. And I'll tell you, Henry VIII. Yeah, he was a nice Ireland, bold Henry, King of England. Henry VIII had six wives. I'm going to give you the names of five of them. Which one is missing? Which one of Henry's wives am I not reading out the name of for the book to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text? Listen carefully. I will say it only once. Catherine of Aragon, Jane Seymour, Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr. Jeez, he loved the Catherines, didn't he? Catherine of Aragon, Catherine Parr, Jane Seymour... Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard. There is one missing, one missing, one name missing from his six wives. Who was it for the book, The Irish Difference? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. And we'll pick somebody for the book before the end of the show. Coming up after three and late lunch, the importance of the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust when you need them. We're going to hear a story and my soundtrack from uh, the movie The Bodyguard. I have more in words and song coming up after news, weather and sport at three. I love the snooker. Just heard Michael talking about the quarterfinals there at the World Championship and I was watching it live last night when Neil Robertson hit the maximum 147 break. Oh my God, it was unbelievable. And yet he bowed out. He was beaten in a deciding frame, 13-12, by Jack Lesowski, who's in the quarterfinals. But what a 1-4-7 it was. I love the snooker. I get that from my mammy. She loved the snooker always, and I adore too. It's just a great time of the year when the World Championships are on. Now, lots of entertainment going on over the bank holiday weekend. Three Amigos in the TLT tomorrow night. Draw the Arts Festival is back with lots going on. Check it out, drawdartsfestival.ie. The Inneskeen Country Fest with Derek Ryan, Nathan Carter and Mike Denver over the weekend as well. And on Bank Holiday Sunday, it's Dundry Fair begins at 10 o'clock featuring Cleena uh, Hagen. And we're talking about the fair here on Late Lunch tomorrow afternoon. Well done to you, Therese Smith from Millgrange, Greenore. I'm sending you that fantastic book, The Irish Difference by Fergal Tobin. I asked the question, Henry VIII had six wives. I gave you the names of five of them. Catherine of Aragon, Catherine Parr, Catherine Howard, Anne of Cleves, Jane Seymour. Who did I leave out? 
poor Anne Boleyn she was beheaded Anne Boleyn was the answer I was looking for thanks to everybody who was in touch by uh, text and WhatsApp enjoy the book Therese will be in touch to pop it out to you and reminding you Trim Drama Group What's for Pudding waiting for you to one act plays start this very evening at the Castle Arch Hotel in Trim 8 o'clock Tickets available on the door of booking from 046-943-7500. And James Allen Hair Design have those tickets as well. We wish them well with that. Now, moving on to my soundtrack this week. It's from the movie The Bodyguard. And the story of The Bodyguard, believe it or not, goes back to 1975. 17 years before the movie was finally released. And an advertising copywriter called Lawrence Kasdan who wanted to get into movies. He wrote a number of scripts before The Bodyguard. He knew when he wrote The Bodyguard, this was the one to make it onto the big screen. He just had that gut feeling and how right he was. However, it wasn't an easy sell by any means. He eventually sold it for $20,000 small fry to a guy called John Kelly, who took it to director John Borman here in Ireland. Borman, would you believe it, completely changed the story with the imprimatur of the writer and all looked good when Diana Ross and Ryan O'Neill were lined up to star in the movie, which was to be made in 1979. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, the deal fell through and it was back to the drawing board. Kasdan, the original writer, moved into directing and his debut movie, Body Heat, was a big success. And indeed, he went on to direct The Big Chill, another biggie. And when his path crossed with Kevin Costner, who had recently enjoyed massive success with The Untouchables and Robin Hood, the pair teamed up and Bodyguard became a reality. Today, from the soundtrack, here's Whitney with a song released on June 21st, The Longest Day, in 1993. Take it away, Whitney. From the bodyguard, the late, great Whitney Houston. What a voice that woman had and what a tragedy her life became because of drugs, wasn't it? Just shocking. What a talent, what a loss. What a brilliant memory she's left us behind with wonderful music. And I'll have more from the bodyguard and words and song round about this time tomorrow afternoon. Now, the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, they're there and they're always there. But they only come into vogue when you need them. If uh, somebody passes away abroad, they are unbelievable in the assistance and help they can give. And we're going to hear about it next. My next guest can testify what the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust means to her family and many other families. Because when tragedy hits and somebody dies abroad... It is really complicated to get the remains of the body back home and deal with all that's involved. Justine Brown, lovely to talk to you this afternoon. Hi, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's uh, great to, to be here and to talk to you all about the, the fantastic Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. Yeah, uh, you uh, have personal experience. Your brother-in-law, Joe Byrne, tell us the story. Yeah, so look, it's a charity very close to our hearts. 
um, to give you a bit of background, I'm married to Peter, uh, who's one of four children born and raised in uh, the parish of Toha. Uh, he has an older brother, Martin, younger brother, Joe, uh, and their sister, Maria. And look, Joe uh, worked in banking and lived all over Europe after college, um, but he moved to the US in um, 2016. Uh, now, Joe was an amazing person, such a great character. He was funny, charming, he was really mischievous, a uh, great footballer back in the day, uh, uh, totally adored by his nieces and nephews. Uh, and to be honest, anyone who met him just warmed to him instantly. He was that kind of person. But um, look, we had a phone call one night back in December 2019 to say that Joe had died and, um, you know, our world fell apart. It, it was sudden, it was unexpected. Um, he was only 42. Um, so, you know, it was devastating for us as a family. And, you know, he had so many friends, um, close friends, especially here in the parish, um, you know, but around the world, you know, he had that impact on people. He made friends wherever he went. Uh, so look, looking back, at it, it, the, it was a bit of a blur, uh, um, you know, when you recollect that time. Um, you know, in the, but in the days that followed, we had to start thinking about how to get him home. Um, you know, or if this was even possible, you know, we had no idea what steps to take, didn't know where to start. Um, but a good friend of ours, Sinead, urged us to um, to co contact the Kevin Bell Trust. Um, we knew nothing about them. We'd never even heard of them. Um, but look, all it took was one call. We, we rang Colin, Colin Bell, who um, set up the charity in his son's name after he very sadly died um, uh, over in the U.S. as well. And... Um, Colin said to us, look, I just need a few details and we'll do the rest. We'll bring Joe home. Uh, and, that, and that's what they did. Um, it, was, it was unbelievable. You know, I can't overstate how much this helped us at you know, such a devastating time. Oh, you know, it's unbelievable. And I've spoken to people over the years about this as well. The way, you know, you're in shock. It's the call you never want to get. It's unexpected. What do you do? How do you go about this? And these people just move in. And take over. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they're, they're unbelievable. You know, they had their own experience of having to figure it out, um, you know, when their son died. Um, but, you know, people were contacting them after that saying, you know, our loved one has died wherever it is. Um, can you help us? And, and the charity has kind of grown from that. You know, it's a sad reason why the charity has grown. But, um, you know, they do amazing work. Um, you know, these repatriations can cost anywhere between 10 and 15,000 euros. Um, so, uh, and they're repatriating about 20 people every month, 20 Irish citizens. Um, and no matter where they are in the world, the Kevin mm. Bell um, Trust will help them, uh, help bring them home to Ireland. That's um, a number. That is a number that's significant per month when you think of that over a year and the costs involved. And with this in yeah. mind, your family wants to give something back. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the premise of the charity is that, you know, the Kevin Bell will, will pay for all the costs of the repatriation, organize it all kind of on the understanding that that family at some stage in the future will try and raise some funds that can be used um, yes. for another another repatriation. Uh, so that's what we're doing now. You know, we, we did something um, after uh, immediately after Joe died and the local community were fantastic. We've got a running group and, and they put on a memorial run for Joe's month's mind. Um, so we did raise some funds, but then obviously the pandemic hit and we were kind of you know, stopped in our tracks in terms of 
doing more. Uh, but now we've had another opportunity to, to do something and raise some more really um, important funds for the charity. And that's what we've got um, this Saturday. Um, so we've got a, a, a really brilliant lineup at McHugh's venue in, uh, in Drogheda on Saturday. Um, so we're hoping to raise lots and lots of money for the charity then. Yeah, and I love the name. It's a Talking Balls fundraiser. And the reason it has that name, they're not being rude or I'm not being rude today. You see, they have some wonderful uh, stars appearing. When I mentioned Brian McClare from Manchester United, primarily, and Glasgow Celtic as well. Sean Kavanagh, the GAA Tyrone star, they're in conversation. Eric Lawler from Fair City has thrown in the laughs, a bit of comedy, live music from the Willin' Fools. My word, that is a night to savour. It is some lineup, isn't it? It's, it's great. The hottest ticket in the, in town this Saturday. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's going to be great because Brian and Sean will be in conversation, of course. And my God, look at the 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 realms of sporting history you're talking about there. Man United, Celtic, Tyrone, GAA, and all to do with that as well. It's going to be fantastic. So it's at McHugh's venue uh, on this Saturday evening, starting at 7 o'clock. It's 20 euro and all money's raised are going to the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust to help another family, as you said, Justine. That's right, yeah. yeah. Every single cent will go to the charity. Um, we're also going to have amazing uh, a raffle on the night, and we've had loads of brilliant local sponsors from the D Hotel, Oxygen Environmental, the Glide Inn in Anagassan. Um, you know, so we've got signed Manchester United jersey, a signed Dundalk jersey. Uh, Oxygen are offering free bin collection for a whole year, so uh, a massive thank you to that. That's a great prize. Um, and, yeah, all proceeds will go to the charity. Um, but yeah, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see uh, Brian McClare. He's flying over especially for this event. Terrific. And uh, it's going to be fabulous to hear some of his stories, uh, you know, his thoughts on the current uh, Manchester United season. Mm. And uh, yeah. Yes, of course. And uh, Brian, uh, Sean Cavan as well, All Ireland winner, tremendous mm. man indeed. And he will be chipping in with his Tuppence Award. So it's this Saturday, 30th of April, 7 o'clock, McHugh's venue in Drogheda. Thank you for joining joining me and telling the story uh, we remember him today of your brother-in-law Joe Byrne Thank you very much Jerry. and can I just add um, tickets available on Eventbrite so if anyone who wants to buy a ticket you just go onto Eventbrite and you put in Talking Balls fundraiser and it's very very easy and you'll be able to get the, the ticket there Yes and even if you're not going along you can chip in with your 20 euros Talking Balls fundraiser on Eventbrite.com you can support there or get your tickets to get along on the night We wish you all well Thank you for joining me Thank you so much Jerry. Take care That's Justine Broom there that charity is incredible. And I met the founders. Of course I did. Kevin's mum and dad here many years ago here in studio. They're amazing people and what they've left as a legacy to their son and what it's done for so many families since is simply remarkable. And we wish them well again with the uh, fundraiser on Saturday. That's a lot on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Midweek Wednesday, Paddy Cox joins us. Yes, it's Organ Donor Awareness Week. And Paddy's just received a donation this very week. He has. He's just post-surgery and he's joining us tomorrow. Dunderry Fair is back, bigger, brighter than ever. We'll be chatting about it. Comedian Fred Cook is joining us tomorrow. Laughs guaranteed. And the scourge of dumping. We're back to it. Will you hear Martin Duffy's story? And more besides coming your way Wednesday on Late Lunch. Up next here on LMFM Radio, Eddie Caffrey's here with The Drive. Stay with us and do come back and join us for your Wednesday Late Lunch 
from 1.30 tomorrow afternoon. Have a lovely evening. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.